Welcome, everybody, to Dead Talk Live. I'm your host, Viz, and I want to welcome all of our viewers from around the world. Thank you for tuning in. Hope you can stay with to uh, hope you can stay with us for the next hour, even though we are starting a little bit late tonight. If you are joining us for the first time and want more information about our show, please visit us on the web at deadtalklive.com. This show is simultaneously streamed Monday through Friday on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Twitch, and Twitter. Want to say a big uh, welcome and a thank you to all of our moderators on Instagram and all the other platforms. Khaleesi is with us. Singer Chick is with us. Lindsay Sparks is joining us on Facebook, as is Philip. Sniper One just joined us on YouTube. Uh, Anshu just joined us on Instagram. Of course, we have Marie moderating on the Instagram side. Germ2000 is with us. I want to say hello to Mary61Mom. Thank you for joining us, Mary. Hope everyone is doing well. And like I posted earlier on my social media, and I mentioned yesterday, I got Sony Pictures Easter Care Package. They're a promotional package uh, that they are using to promote The Unholy, which got released today in theaters here in the United States. So, without any delay, I've been waiting to do this all day. Here is the package, and as you can see, for those of you who have not watched the movie yet, this is the creepy doll that you're going to see in the movie. And it comes with a really, really awesome note that I just dropped. Okay, check this out. Alright, be careful who you pray to. Be careful who you pray to. And of course, on the back, the unholy in theaters on Good Friday, which is today. So, let's see what we got in here. I have not opened this up till just now. Alright, of course, we have the very creepy doll here. And, I mean, just look at this thing. Okay, we'll get to that in a second. Now, I gotta warn you guys, when uh, they told me they were sending me this, they asked me if I could record myself while I'm opening it. So, instead of recording myself, I'm like, I'm just going to open it up live. Okay, and, oh, a candle. Nice. An unholy candle. Very nice. Cool. Okay, and what else we have in here? So, they said that that creepy head that I just showed you is to it's supposed to crack open and there's a freaky surprise inside so they gave me this to crack it open with so i am supposed to I guess just hit the head with this hammer this is a horror show right so i want you guys to see this because i have no idea uh, there's something in here, all right. I hope it's candy. I almost feel bad that I have to crack this poor, good-looking doll's face in half. You know? I mean... It makes such a good ornament. Anyway, here it goes.
This is actually a lot of fun. <laughs> Did you hear that? It's chocolate. Dude, it's edible. Mmm. This whole head is edible. I'm eating a doll's head. Mm. This is so damn good. Okay, I'm going to keep smashing the skull. Poor thing. Let's go for the eyes. <laughs> I dropped my hammer. I guess I won't make that good of a serial killer. Oh, face is gone. Alright, now that I've smashed this poor doll's head open, let's see what's in here. More candy. Looks like rat droppings, but I think it's candy. Mmm. This is not bad, dude. This is some good stuff. I'm enjoying this, I'm sorry. I know I should be talking. This is some good stuff, though. I'm going to eat this thing after the show. I'll just have one more piece. Mm. This is some good chocolate. I ain't kidding you. We have a lot of chocolate. We have a lot of chocolate fans out there. Mmm. Mmm. Okay. Well, this that's what's making the sound. I'm sorry. I've never gotten a gift from a studio before, so I'm a little happy about this. Got my little smashing head hammer. Wow. Alright. You should see my desk right now. It's littered in this confetti and chocolate bits all over the place. And of course I got my noise maker. Anyway, that was great. That really is some good chocolate. Um... Lindsay writes, enjoy yourself, Viz. What an awesome gift. Oh, boy. Sniper says, you are you are so lucky. I love chocolate, Viviana says on Facebook. Mm. Um, just looking up on the Instagram, people. Um, we have Millie who's joined us. El Bribe has joined us. Some good stuff. 
I need some water to wash it down, though. Oh, boy. All right. Let's get back to business. Let me put this bashed up head sort of upright. Feel bad for the little sucker. Anyway. Uh, that was Sony's surprise to me. And I want to thank them very much uh, for giving us Evan the other night for, for a great interview uh, for the care package. Like I said, today the Unholy got released to theaters here in the United States. It's uh, also being released in various other parts of the world as well. Uh, yesterday and the days to come. And from what I hear, it is exclusively in movie theaters right now. But it is going to be coming on video on demand uh, not too far along. So keep an eye out for it. If it's uh, if you guys can't go to the movies to watch it, it will be hitting video on demand here in the very near future. Sniper One writes, "Milk is butter." Uh, Zoe on Twitter writes, "That was a really cool gift." <laughs> You're right. Milk would go great with the chocolate. You know, but I didn't think, I didn't think there would actually, I did not think that head was going to be edible. And then I cracked it open and here's the outside of it. And here's what the inside looks, looks like. It's chocolate. It's a chocolate head. Anyway, let's move on to some news. Okay. Now that we got to bash the poor little doll's head open, uh, we do have news for today. And apparently... Uh, the Walking Dead Season 9, Episode 10, got a huge fine. I'm assuming from the FCC. Let's find out why. The Walking Dead Season 9, Episode 10, featured a flashback to the start of the zombie apocalypse. But the scene earned AMC a hefty fine. Here's why. <clears throat> AMC was hit with a huge fine a few months after The Walking Dead Season 9, Episode 10 aired. Although its sister show, Fear the Walking Dead, depicts the start of the zombie apocalypse, this is something The Walking Dead has largely steered cleared. Instead, the AMC show kicked off a couple of months after the dead had risen, with Rick Grimes waking up from his coma to find a very different world to the one he once knew. And to be exact, I believe uh, within that five-week time span from when he got shot to when he woke up in the hospital is when the whole world went down the toilet. That said, The Walking Dead has featured a few flashbacks to when the proverbial hit the, proverbial hit the fan, the season one finale, TS-19, for example, Flashback to Shane trying to rescue a comatose Rick as the hospital he was in was overrun by walkers. Similarly, the opening scene of Season 2, episode called Chupacabra, showed Shane and Lori stuck in traffic outside Atlanta as the military napalmed the city in an attempt to contain the outbreak. The Walking Dead Season 9, Episode 10, offered viewers another glimpse into the onset of the outbreak in the form of a flashback from Lydia, played by Cassidy McClincy, titled Omega. The episode opened with a scene that saw Lydia and her parents 
Samantha Morton, and Steve Kazi, Alpha, and Frank hold up in a Baltimore shelter at the start of the apocalypse. In the scene, a siren could be heard over an emergency radio broadcast, along with a woman's voice instructing survivors what to do. The emergency siren was presumably included to make the scene feel more authentic, but it ended up costing AMC an arm and a leg. Did they real? Oh, I see where this is going. Uh, six months after AMC aired The Walking Dead Season 9, Episode 10, the network was hit with a hefty fine to the tune of $104,000 by the FCC for its use of a siren similar to the use of the USA's official emergency alert system. Are they kidding me? I didn't even know that kind of rule was on the books. You can't use a siren that's similar to the emergency alert system. Uh, the emergency alert system is used to warn American citizens of a national emergency, such as a zombie apocalypse, but more likely a tornado or a similar weather warning, and it's used outside of an actual emergency or an authorized test is a big no-no. I never knew that. I had no idea about that. Uh, welcome to Skippy TV, who's just joined us on YouTube. The FCC's reasoning behind the fine is that misuse of the EAS for entertainment purpose can confuse, that is, thinking a real emergency is taking place, or alert fatigue, which means the public becomes desensitized to alerts and don't take them seriously. Well, you know what? I've got a real smart-ass answer to that one. If they don't want us to become desensitized to the emergency alert system, stop doing so many damn tests. I think, as a whole, we have become a little bit desensitized. Whether it's on radio or TV, you hear that siren at least once a day. So... That makes no sense. The Walking Dead isn't the only show that's been hit with an FCC fine. Around the same time, ABC talk show Jimmy Kimmel Live and Animal Planet uh, series Lone Star Law also earned fines for using the same tone. While CBS was hit with a similar penalty a month later for simulated EAS tones during an episode of Young Sheldon. Considering Jimmy Kimmel Live earned ABC a $395,000 fine and Young Sheldon earned CBS $272,000 penalty, the $104,000 AMC paid out for The Walking Dead Season 9, Episode 10, suggests the network got off relatively lightly. You're right, Singer Chick. That is just ridiculous. Those sums of money that the government charged these studios is ridiculous. And they contradict themselves to the alert fatigue and the amount of times we have to hear that damn siren. So, yeah, I think we've all 
of us here living in the United States have become a little bit desensitized to that already. But that is just ridiculous. And thinking back to that episode, I do not remember hearing the emergency alert broadcast system. You know, I it did not register to me while I was watching the episode. And I most definitely don't remember it now, uh, two years later. Uh, Zoe on Twitter writes, avoiding an Orson Welles repeat of War of the Worlds, perhaps? Yeah, that's just that that's just funny. For those for those of you out there that don't know the story, which I'm sure all of you know the story, when War of the Worlds was being broadcast over the radio a long time ago, uh it was done in such a way where people thought that Martians were actually invading Earth. And there was a panic that lasted for several hours until everything got straightened out. So, and I bet you that could be why this law went on the books in the first place. But, hey, you know, it's the FCC. They control pretty much everything and anything that gets broadcast on network television. Now, those kind of rules do not uh, really include, you know, shows like this that are broadcast on the Internet. These those kind of laws apply to network television, I assume. So if I was to play the emergency alert system right now, I don't think that would be breaking the law. But I'm not going to test it out. I'm not going to try it out just to find out. Anyway, moving along, American Horror Story Season 10 star promises it will be a bloodbath. Which season of American Horror Story that we have seen has not been a bloodbath? American Horror Story Season 10 star Angelica Ross teases that the new installment will be a bloodbath, saying she's not sure if she can watch it. American uh, uh, The COVID-19 pand- pandemic has postponed new episodes of the anthology, but with production well underway, Cast members and writers are finally shedding some light on the show's highly anticipated return. The biggest reveal so far has come from American Horror Story co-creator Ryan Murphy. Back in March, Murphy revealed that season 10 will have the title of Double Feature. Elaborating further, Murphy explained that it is essentially means that The series will air two seasons in a single calendar year. One will be set by the sea, with the cast already announced. The other will be conversely by the sand, with a separating cast, sorry, a separate separate casting announcement still to come. Ross, who appeared, uh, last appeared in American Horror Story 1984, has now offered a hint of how the setup could potentially work. During an, on an interview on The Ellen Show, guest co-host uh, Kaylin Allen asked Ross about the anthology's upcoming 10th entry. Roth, Ross promised that longtime fans will be pleased with the returns of Sarah Paulson, Evan Peters, and Finn Whitrock. She also revealed that she'll be working with American Horror Story veterans Francis Conroy, 
While she couldn't reveal much about the story specifics, Ross did stress that viewers should anticipate a bloodbath. You can read the actor's quote right below. This new season is just incredible. I've already started working with Francis Conroy. The OG fans of American Horror Story are going to be thrilled because it's just it, it's just got Sarah Paulson, Evan Peters, Finn Whitrock, just all of the original gang is there. But then theirs, it's just going to be a bloodbath. All I can say is it's going to be a bloodbath. I don't know if I can watch. So there you go. There you have it. The comments from Ross could possibly suggest that there will be a massive clearing of the deck with regards to the characters that are introduced in the early episodes. This will not altogether be unusual for American Horror Story, as the anthology is well known for its tendency to kill off and resurrect protagonists and antagonists alike. And that is so true. Uh, one thing about American Horror Story, uh, a character can die in the very first episode, and they will find a way to bring him back for the bring him or her back for the rest of the season. The show took that approach recently with 1984, which ostensibly wrapped up its main arc halfway through the season. The same is true for Roanoke, which arguably told separate stories over the course of the season while managing to connect the two narratives. And if you guys remember the Roanoke season, the first half is about the events, the family that lives in the house uh, with the Roanoke history that uh, goes along with the land. And then the second part is them filming a reality TV show in that same house. And of course, during the filming of that reality TV show, things start to go sideways pretty quickly. Uh, so, let's see. As speculation continues about the shape AHS double feature will take, Ross's bloodbath reveal ensures that the outlandish series likely won't move too far away from what has made it such a success. And there you go. There you have a picture of her. I, I assume that's a scene from the upcoming season. And we still don't have a release date. So we'll have to wait and see. Uh, Singer Chick writes, I was one of the hardest ones for me to watch. Roanoke? I loved Roanoke. Uh, that was one of my favorite seasons. Brett has joined us on Instagram. Martin's also with us. Welcome, guys. So the Walking Dead Rick Grimes movie will return to what made the show great. When the Rick Grimes spinoff movie, with the Rick Grimes movie spinoff on the horizon, The Walking Dead can finally return to the elements that originally made the show so appealing. I don't know why I'm still holding this piece of smashed up face slash chocolate, but I'm going to hold on to it. The Walking Dead can fully return to what made the show initially great with the upcoming Rick Grimes spinoff movie. Andrew Lincoln portrayed the central protagonist for nine seasons of the TV adaptation based on Robert Kirkman's popular comic book. The figure exited the series in the middle of season nine, 
when Lincoln expressed interest in departing from the role. Though he was presumed dead after uh, a heroic, heroic sacrifice, Rick was taken away in a mysterious helicopter to an unknown location. His fate will eventually be revealed in a film featuring Lincoln reprising his famed role from The Walking Dead. Despite the news of a Rick spinoff movie being announced during Lincoln's initial exit, AMC isn't rushing the project. No kidding. In fact, the veteran showrunner Scott M. Gimple announced plans for multiple movies set in the post-apocalyptic world at the center of The Walking Dead as the project centered on Rick is slowly starting to take shape. Exact plot details are being kept under wraps. That said, it's expected to feature a few familiar faces while trying tying in elements from Fear the Walking Dead and The Walking Dead World Beyond. Now, The Walking Dead World Beyond, that's a no-brainer right there. How they're going to tie Fear the Walking Dead into it? Yeah, that remains to be seen. Kirkman is also heavily involved in the creation of the Rick movie. Recently, Kirk, uh, Kirkman commented on the Rick Grimes movie while also discussing The Walking Dead ending with season 11. He mentioned how the movie would serve more as a solo story rather than an ensemble story, which has been the format of the TV series, especially in recent seasons. Kirkman also identified it as a very different kind of Walking Dead story. Still, the comments play into the hope that the movie will welcome back elements of what made the series so appealing when it first debuted in 2010. A, spe a specific Walking Dead Season 10 bonus episode brought back original elements and that's something AMC could fully embrace with Rick's movie. And I'm going to be a little bit critical of this article right here. They keep bringing up original elements. But if you notice, not once in this entire article do they mention or hint at what their thoughts of those original elements are. I'll take it for what it's worth, but just saying, just saying. John Carpenter's The Thing, 10 behind-the-scene facts about the Kurt Russell horror movie. As a master of horror genre with a panache for politically motivated allegory, there is one film by director John Carpenter that best defines his career. Um, his chilling, highly suspenseful, suspenseful creature feature, The Thing, follows a group of American researchers in Antarctica, led by Kurt Russell, who begin to question who among them they can trust after discovering a hostile, otherworldly being with the ability to imitate any living organism. The movie has sparked questions over the years, which we may be able to answer through some of the thing behind the scene facts that are just as fascinating as the film itself. The 1982 sci-fi thriller is lauded as one of the best horror movies of all time for its astoundingly realistic creature effects and unnerving paranoid atmosphere. 
as well as one of the few horror remakes that actually, and this is their words, don't suck. Even surpassing the 1951 original by more faithfully honoring the short story that inspired it, John W. Campbell Jr., Who Goes There? However, it actually took a long time for the initially panned box office bomb to achieve the praise, praise it receives, which may actually be the film's most confounding mystery. It's not a mystery to me. Classics are not revealed to you when you watch it, when it's being made, most definitely not then, uh, or even a while after released. You know what determines a film or even a TV show is going to become a classic? History. That's what determines it uh, becoming a classic. If it survives the test of time and it is still talked about, still watched, that's how you know you get a classic. There is no way uh, while a film is being written, produced, filmed, even when it's released, we watch it. None of us, we may have said it, we walked out of a movie theater or just finished watching a movie and saying, you know what, that's going to be a classic. I don't think I've ever said that. Classic movies are revealed over time. Perhaps we can figure it out as we unveil many other secrets of the thing with the following uh, bits of trivia, starting with a glimpse at the imitation the movie could have been. Toby Hooper, Hopper, Hooper sorry, Toby Hooper was approached to direct the thing before John Carpenter. Now, Toby was the director of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. That's why there's a picture of Leatherface right there. It's hard to imagine anyone better to helm the thing than John Carpenter, who coincidentally incorporated a TV broadcast of the thing from another world into his original Halloween movie in 1978. However, he had not yet made the hit slasher masterpiece when Universal began considering who should remake the Alien Invasion movie, which is why Toby was their first choice. According to Bloody Disgusting, the studio parted ways with the director of the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre when his vision resembled what producer Stuart Cohen described as, quote, a sort of Antarctica Moby Dick. Vastly different from the source material, Toby would go on to direct Poltergeist in 1982, depending on who you ask, that is. Uh, the famous burned-in title card was a practical effect. Thankfully, John Carpenter agreed the thing should be more like who goes there than the thing from another world was, but did pay tribute to Howard Hawks' B-movie by recreating its iconic title card that literally burns into the screen. Visual effects artist Peter Koran described how he achieved the effect in 1998's feature-length documentary, The Thing, Terror Takes Shape which can be found on Shout Factory's 2016 Collector's Edition 
Blu-ray release that Amazon has available. He first drew the ominous design of the title on an animation cell, which he placed behind a fish tank filled with smoke and covered with a trash bag. When lit on fire, revealed the title in all its glory. I definitely did not know that. The thing's interior scenes were shot in a refrigerated soundstage. <laughs> Damn, they put all those actors in a refrigerated soundstage. That doesn't sound too pleasant. The thing also resembles the 1951 film's Antarctic setting, even though no shooting took place there. Exterior shots were achieved in Alaska and British Columbia and the inside of U.S. Outpost 31, built on a Universal Studios soundstage, cooled to an authentically cold temperature. Cinematographer Dean Cundley recalled on the Terror Takes Shape documentary how the warmly dressed uh, cast and crew would walk out into the Los Angeles summer heat to see confused faces of the studio tourists. Just imagine being a tourist, right? And you're doing a tour of Universal Studios, uh, and you're just doing this tour, and all of a sudden you see Kurt Russell walk out from a soundstage covered with frost on his beard, wearing an Antarctica coat. <laughs> they would probably think it was some kind, like a part of the show or something. Uh, so they would eventually grow tired of changing for lunch breaks and opted to endure the heat instead. Uh, okay, so they opted once they left that soundstage for lunch or whatever. They're like, screw it, I'm not taking all this stuff off. I'm just going to go eat my lunch and get back into the cold room. Uh, canine actor Jed made his film debut in The Thing by starring as, res as resident dog handler Clark. Richard Massore got to spend a lot of time with Jed, whose performance as the titular creature's wolf dog disguised often gets more praise than most of the human cast. This makes it all the more surprising to learn that the animal actor who would go into star in both Disney's White Fang movies, did not know that, had never been in a film before The Thing. On top of having little experience working with people, as Mansoor claims in uh, Terror Takes Shape, perhaps that was crucial to the memorably chilling and fittingly alien atmosphere of his on-screen presence. Doc's arm loss effect in the thing was achieved by hiring an amputee. Now, 1982, this is before the time of CGI. When naming the thing's most shocking flagship moment, many cite Doc, Co Doc, Co sorry, Doc Cooper's uh, attempt to revive what he does not realize is an imitation of Norris, whose stomach turns into a large mouth that chomps down on Doc's arms. In Terror Takes Shape, Rob uh, Bowden, the man we can thank for the film's stunning practical effects, reveals that in the following wide shot, 
the new armless doc is then played by a man who had lost his arms in an industrial accident. Wearing a mask modeled from uh, Dysert's face, Bodden also mentions how the same double was wearing fake arms made of jello, wax bones, and rubber in the close-up of the grotesque amputation. You see, that's how they used to do it old school. And that's why those guys deserve a lot of praise. And today's visual effects people deserve a lot of praise too. They're just dealing with a whole bunch of different technology that requires a whole different skill set. But back then when there was no CGI and they had to become really creative on how to shoot scenes like that, you got to tip your hat to them. Rob Botton was hospitalized for exhaustion by the end of the thing's production. Rob, a big inspiration to the special effects designer of 2011's The Thing prequel, Alec Gillis, was only 22 when John Carpenter hired him as to design the titular creature and its makeup effects, though you would believe he was an industry veteran by his impeccable work in the film that would prove to be more tiresome than one should really allow. Just take this excerpt from Terror Take Shape interview just to see why. And the quote is, I was so wanting this stuff to come out so great, I actually lived at Universal for a year and five weeks without taking a day off. And I can sympathize with him. I'd sleep on the sets. I ended up working so hard that I ended up in the hospital at the end of the show. John Carpenter looked at me and said, you don't look well. Someone take this guy to the hospital. Since then, I've wised up and I do not do that anymore. Any filmmaker would agree that no one should ever work themselves to threatening levels of exhaustion for their art. Of course, when the result is one of the scariest movie monsters in history, you cannot say it was not entirely worth it. That's just some advice I better take or I'll end up in the hospital. Fangoria magazines held a creature drawing contest prior to the thing's release. Of course, the ability to shapeshift into an unlimited amount of forms is what really makes the alien antagonist of the thing especially scary, unpredictable, and such an amazing creative opportunity. Renowned horror magazine Fangoria, and of course, Anthony Timpone, who was the editor-in-chief in Fangoria's heyday, has been a guest of ours now twice. Uh, Fangoria used that opportunity to hold a contest challenging the readers to submit drawings of what they imagined the creature would look like, promising a trip to Universal Studios for the one with the most accurate or unique illustration. You can't go by accurate because nobody really knows what the thing looks like. The winning submission, which Fangoria later shared on Instagram in 2018, really looks nothing like any of what the creature becomes in the film, but is so terrifying it almost makes you wonder 
if that is what scared audiences from the theater. However, the makers of the of the thing have other ideas. And that's E.T. That's not the winning drawing right there. Uh, the cast and crew believe E.T.'s success caused the thing's critical and commercial failure. Yes, the movie was not received very well when it came out. Uh, so, continuing on with uh, how highly regarded as it is today, it is hard to believe that the thing initially received poor reviews when it came out in the summer of 1982 and grossed a worldwide total of less than $20 million worldwide. Even going back to what $20 million meant back in 1982, that's not a whole hell of a lot. While audiences may recall that a little movie called E.T. was released just two weeks earlier, and as Dean Cundley would explain in the following Terror Take Shape excerpt, he and most others involved with the horror flick assume the hit family film is what sealed the thing's fate. I think, I think that at the time when the thing was released, it was an innovative, very kind of unusual journey for, the, for an audience. And I think it came across as an interesting phenomenon that it was. At the time, we also had a very friendly alien that came to visit Earth in the form of E.T. And it was a case of an audience at the time feeling probably more comfortable with a friendly alien and the fact that the sort of dark edge of the thing was something that wasn't so appreciated at the time. I think audiences' sensibilities always change and they're now prepared to accept an alien that isn't so friendly in the shape of the thing. Absolutely right there. Um, just reading through the chats that everybody's uh, talking about. So moving on, Norris actor Charles Hallahan also claimed in the documentary that if more time had passed between the release of the thing and the heartwarming warming E.T., uh, which was directed, of course, by Steven Spielberg, uh, it could have been a real success. Of course, not anyone, not everyone involved felt too confident in the film's nihilistic overtones either. Yeah, you know, that was just poor planning on picking the release date after E.T., but they didn't know how successful E.T. was going to be. E.T. was the number one... Do you guys know that E.T. was the highest grossing film of all time? Can you name what movie knocked that into second place? Came out in the 90s. I mean, E.T. came out in 1982, but a movie in the 90s came out that uh, took over the number one spot in money making. Let's see if anyone can guess which movie it is. An alternate ending that the thing was shot to give audiences a more hopeful conclusion. Editor Tom Ramsey. Ah, that Khaleesi got it. Titanic. Good. Very good, Khaleesi. It took Titanic to knock E.T. off the top spot. 
and Titan Titanic since has been bumped out as well. Um, let's see. Yes, says didn't Avatar or whatever it was called get number one? Yep, Avatar knocked Titanic off the number one spot, and I don't think Avatar is still number one. I think. Uh, the one of the Avengers movies, I think the latest Avengers movie is now number one. I could be wrong on that. Don't quote me on that. But um, uh, I think it's the Avenger movies and then Avatar and then Titanic. And then I forget what number four is. Editor Todd Ramsey recalls in Terror Take Shape approaching John Carpenter with the idea of instead of ending the thing with an uncertain fate for lone survivors, R.J. McGreedy, and Childs, that the audience may respond better to something more concrete and positive. Carpenter decided to shoot an alternate scene in which McGreedy is rescued and confirmed to still be human. But to stay true to the source material, he ultimately opted to leave it out Horror fans are thankful for the ending we got, and it's more appropriately somber quality, and especially the debates it has since sparked. Personally, yep, Khaleesi writes Black Panther. That's another one as well. So Marvel is doing very well, the Marvel Cinema Universe, having like at least two of the top five uh, top-grossing movies of all time. Going back to the ending of The Thing, I, I loved it. I'm glad they did not go with an optimistic ending. In fact, for all of us that have watched the thing, you're really left with no other conclusion. There was no help coming for them that those two ultimately ended up freezing to death. I mean, there was no help coming. There was no rescue in sight. And when they were having that conversation just before the credits rolled in the movie... You can tell that they both knew that they were going to die out there. But, you know what? I think they were prepared to die. They were willing, by the time the end rolled around, they were willing to sacrifice their own life to make sure that that thing never made it to civilization. Because they knew what it meant if that thing ever escaped the uh, Antarctic. Now, Dean Cunley implanted a subtle hint at who is or is not the thing. While the thing never gets old no matter how many times you see it, nothing really tops the mystery of who the creature is imitating in the first viewing. Well, apparently, it is much easier to distinguish the humans from the creature than we all realize as director of photography Dean Cunley would reveal in this pull from a 2016 interview with Blumhouse. So we were looking for some kind of a subtle way to say which one of these men might be human. You'll notice there's always an eye light, we call it. A little gleam in the eye of the actor, it gives life. I had no idea. That's, that's a revelation for me. As you can see from the photo of Palmer, let me look at this photo again. Do you guys see that eye light that he's talking about? I mean, one eye is completely in the shadow. You can't see that. 
And now all I see is a regular eye. I don't see any kind of eye light. As you can see from the photo of Palmer above, it really, uh, all it really took to know he was an alien was playing, was play, sorry, paying close attention to the shadow over his brow. Okay, that I could see. Yet, does this also explain the thing's ambiguous ending that never confirms if Keith, uh, David, and Kurt Russell's characters are still human? I will leave that one up to you. Quick bonus fact before we go. Did you know that the late legendary composer Ennio Maricone repurposed some unused music from his The Thing score for The Hateful Eight in 2015? What is really ironic is how he was actually nominated for a Razzie for composing the horror film while Quentin Tarantino's Western, also starring Kurt Russell, earned him his first and only Academy Award, not counting his honorary Oscar in 2007. I suppose the real lesson to take from all this is that good things come to those who wait. So, welcome Alex from Instagram, who is now Alex on Twitch. Welcome to Twitch, Alex. Mayonnaise is joining us on Instagram. When I see the name Mayonnaise, I'm sorry. It reminds me of the movie An Officer and a Gentleman. And I can't believe we are already 50 minutes into this show and almost out of time. We can blame that to my creepy ass but awesome gift doll here. Let me show you guys again before we end tonight's show. Not yet, but, well, this used to be a doll's face. There's a whole bunch of candy that I am gonna be feasting on tonight. Again, a big thank you to Sony Pictures for sending me this in honor of the unholy that's being released. Have another piece of chocolate right there. I think we have time for one more. I think we have time for one more headline. Let's see. Stream these five chilling new horror movies. Let's just see what these five are. All right. Number one, Come True. That's a David Cronenberg movie. The Dark and the Wicked. I'll definitely vouch for that one. Amazing movie. Let's see. What else? The Block, the Block Island Sound. Never heard of that one. What else? Slacks. Uh, somebody mentioned this to me the other day. And he's like, if you're really into just some, like, satire horror, you gotta watch Slacks. This gory satire marries two of my favorite horror subgenres, the killer object and the single wicked location. The film is set up like a Uniqlo-like fast fashion store, where a new line of denim that adjusts to each wearer's contour is set to be stocked overnight. But the possessed pants have their own nefarious plans. That's right. This movie is about possessed jeans. Uh, to frighten the employees and knock them, knock them off in spectacularly bloody ways. I'm not exaggerating when I say the jeans are so tight they slay. <laughs> 
The special effects, especially the dancing jeans, are lo-fi silly, but the Canadian director Elsa Kephart gets clever with cuts and squirts that splatter fans will find hilarious. You know, I'm going to watch this because now that's twice. Somebody brought this up to me the other day, and now coming up in this article, for me, that's a cosmic calling that I have to watch slacks. CC Weezy says, I watched the Block Island sound and a couple of week, a couple of weeks ago. It's a decent movie. Alex writes, that's me. I'm Mayonnaise from Instagram. All right, Mayonnaise. You're going all over the place. Uh, Alex also writes, did you know that Jeffrey Dahmer had so many bodies in his house? He stored one in his bath, bud, and he had to stand over it to clean himself. Well, I think we all know that the whole ritual Jeffrey Dahmer did was, you know, I don't even know what the right word is. I'm just going to let it be. I don't think there is a right word for that. Uh, predicting, you know what? Since we have a little bit of time, let's go ahead and watch the uh, the Slacks uh, uh, trailer. I got to see this. Ready. Hi there. And you are? Libby. You are here for the new collection turnaround. This is such an important night for us. A lot of people have been very keen to get their eyes on it. Jeans that automatically adapt to your body size. The Super Shapers! Lockdown I want you to know I will do whatever it takes to make sure things go as scheduled. Oh my god. I'm so like totally excited. I could just die. <laughs> Should we call the police? We can't. We're in lockdown. What if there's a killer out there? Are you afraid there's a killer out there? Yeah. Get ready. For slacks. Okay, so we know two things. It loves Bollywood music, and it has a bindi on its forehead. Slacks. Small price to pay for an awesome ass. Oh, come on, that's hysterical. It's on Shudder. I mean, you guys have to watch that. Uh... That looks amazing. Uh, Khaleesi writes, is that James from The Stand? I think so. I love that trailer. I thought that, that was hysterical. Let me see what the time, much time we have. Uh, let's see if we can fit in another trailer. Dark and the Wicked, we already know about that. Let's watch this one, Come True. I actually want to watch trailers because I want to eat more chocolate. Okay? I'm good. Really? Really. <laughs> You'll be okay to attend for the full two-month period? Yes. 
So we really just show up and sleep. We just need you lying there in REM. REM, the stage of sleep where we dream the most vividly. How many of us are in the study? I can't tell you that. What are you studying? I can't tell you that either. Stage one, the eyes close. A reduction in activity between wakefulness. Stage two, the slowing of the heart rate. Their bodies are preparing them for deep sleep. What were those pictures Anita showed me this morning? I can't tell you that. I don't want to do this anymore. Now we wait. We'll either be hailed or crucified based on our treatment of this breakthrough. It's happening. This is exactly what he's been waiting for. Run! Don't you ever feel like you're seeing something that you're not supposed to? Wake up. Alright. That looks pretty good. Pretty good right there. Alright, guys. Uh... Thank you for tuning in tonight. It's been an unusual show with the opening of the head. Got a little hammer and all the other stuff that went on in this hour. Thank you for hanging in there. I uh, hope everyone has a great weekend. Please visit us at deadtalklive.com uh, for the list of guests that we have coming up. Tuesday, we're going to have a special guest that we're going to be talking about horror with uh, Morgan David Jones, who's also in the upcoming Spiral movies. So make sure to go to our website to see all of our guests. We'll be announcing more guests as the days unfold as well. I hope everyone has a safe weekend. And until Monday, guys, stay safe and always stay walking. Good night. Good weekend. Till later. Bye. Mm -hmm.